Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable Women's World Cup podcast brought to you by Playtaga. We're going to start off this week like we did last week with an interview with somebody that actually got to go to the Women's World Cup. We're pleased to have Jennifer Gordon back on. Jennifer, what was your experience like just get, being able to go up there and, and go to the matches? Um, well, first off, thanks for having me. Um, it was awesome. It's something I've been thinking about since they announced that Canada you know, got the bid because it's so close. Um, it was really exciting to to see teams that I normally don't see just because, you know, the U.S. plays a lot, but, you know, not enough that you get to see some of these great teams like England or, you know, a Brazil uh, a lot. And it was interesting to see um, how the game is evolving to um, up close and personal. So that was definitely a great experience. And uh, hopefully I can go to France in four years. So. Yeah, uh, you mentioned you got to see uh, Brazil and Spain before we started recording. What did you take away from that match? Um, I, I guess I took away that Brazil you know, maybe isn't as far along in their progression um, as far as you know they did start to get funding and they've been in residency. Maybe they're not as far along as they thought they were. Because um, I, you know, I, I thought that Spain would put up a fight, but I honestly thought that Brazil would get a couple more goals. Um, that that game was maybe more of a stalemate than I expected. And I, I thought it would be more exciting than it was, um, which is kind of disappointing, but it's the World Cup. And sometimes that happens. The games that you're you know, amped and you're ready for kind of turn out to be, you know, not the, the most memorable. But, um, you know, anytime you can see a legend like Marta play, you know, for her national team, you know, that's that in and of itself is memorable. Just so you can say, you know, you've seen that. Um, you know, there's probably never going to be another player that wins FIFA Women's Footballer of the Year five times. You know, that's just mm-hmm. probably not going to happen. Uh, not to get off on a tangent, but do you think that's just because as the sport grows, we're going to have more and more and better, better players? Like maybe she dominated an era that was a little bit less uh, impressive than the one we're about to enter into? I, I think to an extent. Um, you're you're kind of starting to see that with some of these um, smaller countries, you know, they're starting to get more funding and you're starting to see players kind of step up to the plate. Um, but you know, whether or not they're going to do enough, you know, and cause really when they vote, the only thing they look at is major tournaments. Um, so, you know, it's just a matter of whether or not some of these teams can make it into like the euros or an Olympics or a world cup on a continual basis. I think that's what you got to get. Cause it's, it's definitely even more so with the men, it's about name rec- recognition. Um, so we'll see. I think, I do think it's going to get more competitive because it seems like more and more uh, federations are putting in money and you're going to see different styles of um, play more so. And uh, that's going to be exciting. And I think that, 
you know, as teams put in more funding, I think that media will follow. And the more media that follows, um, hopefully the more name and rec- recognition there'll be, people will be um, aware of maybe some players that they weren't know- aware of before, like maybe a Shirley Cruz from Costa Rica, who's, um, you know, at, at least a top 10, I'd maybe even top five attacking midfielder in the world. Um, she's a great player, but Costa Rica's never made a major tournament. So, you know, press doesn't, the press that, core really doesn't know her outside the that small subsect of uh women's soccer reporters so um yeah i think long story short i do think in the long term you'll probably see more people get um get nods and i also think that marta is just a very unique talent um i think people are going to question after this tournament and after brazil's run if she's gonna be the dominant player you know that she was but i just take people back to the tournament brazil had maybe six months ago where she just ripped the u.s apart um mm. you know to beat the u.s you she still got it um so she's still gonna be around for a while the un, you know u.s fans probably aren't happy to hear that but you know this definitely <laughs> isn't the end of her right all right and uh while you were up there we, we talked to kieran a little bit about um his experience just with the atmosphere both at matches and kind of outside of it and he mentioned that kind of uh, the planning for the groups of people wasn't as well planned as just the matches themselves. Would you agree with that assessment or, or was it different where you were? Um, it was, it seemed like outside the stadium, there wasn't too much in Montreal. Like there were some, like depending on where you went in to watch the game, bars or restaurants would be prepared. Um, or you, maybe you messaged them before you, you know, went up to Montreal. Are you going to be, you know, broadcasting game they would say yes but then you would get there and you'd kind of have to insist that they'd put it on um so I feel like different parts of the city had a different response to it being there um and interestingly enough I you know headed over to Toronto for a couple days and there was stuff because they're hosting the Pan Am games um starting next month Mm. there was stuff everywhere and there were bars everywhere saying that they would um be showing the Pan Am games so uh, it was kind of interesting. Uh, I don't but see with Montreal being a French speak, speaking city. I don't know if that had anything to do with it. If it's maybe a, a slightly different culture than the rest of the country. Um, and also the turnout in Brazil, I know has been disappointing for um, a lot of the people. And I was kind of disappointed too. Um, especially the last game, there was only, I think like under 14,000. Um, I understand it was during the week at four o'clock, but still. Duck out of work early and come into the game. <laughs> Do something. Uh, what group of fans would you say were the most vivacious in the group you got to see? Oh, I was completely in awe of the Colombian fans. Um, it, it was the sort of atmosphere as a, like a U.S. soccer fan that you dream of. It was, you know, they made the stadium louder with maybe 5,000 people mm-hmm. than it was for the Canada game with 45 people. Like, 45,000 people, probably 30-some thousand Canadian supporters. So, they just brought it. Um, Like, there were full, uh, whole families were wearing um, Columbia gear, um, you know, from the dad, mom, you know, the brothers and sisters. They had flags. Um, They were making a ton of noise. Like, it was just a great atmosphere. Um, And uh, it was really fun to watch because, you know, being a South... American country, you don't expect to see male fans rooting for a women's team. Um, 
it was just phenomenal. And we actually went to um, a restaurant after that game, and two Colombian fans came in after us, and they were like, yeah, we need to, we need some drinks. You know, we're sad we lost. And um, I think they didn't, maybe even the fog in the fog of things, didn't realize it'd make it to the, to the knockout round. Oh. So I'm interested. Yeah, I think in the fun. Yeah, I was like, I almost said something, but I was like, no, we'll just just leave them, leave them drink their margaritas. <laughs> um, but that that was really exciting. Um, South Korea brought it too. I thought they had a pretty. It was you know not as much as Colombia. There wasn't as many fans, uh, but they had a pretty good contingent too, um, and that was exciting to watch. Awesome. And uh, we had a discussion about uh, the state of the refereeing at the Women's World Cup and brought up the fact uh, that, that some women's players and commentators were saying maybe it's time to kind of ungender lock the refereeing position. Uh, would you mind sharing your perspective on that issue with us? Um, it's the biggest tournament in the world, and the number one concern should be making that, sure that you have the best available referees on the field um, to make sure that the calls are correct um the handball that should have been called against colombia against france that's game changing and i think that that's probably the call that i think is going to stand out to most people that that can't happen any game it certainly can't happen in the world cup and i think what fifa needs to do is continue to put the money in referee education um continue those classes and i also think that probably like a lot of people you know a lot of other people have said as these, because more and more, more and more countries are getting leagues, and as these leagues continue to hopefully grow, um, these uh, female referees will have more opportunities to ref and get experience that they can bring on to um, to a more uh, international level, and also maybe you know start programs to make sure that they go to the youth World Cups. Um, you know, obviously you don't want errors there, but I think that's more of a breeding ground to try to make these female ref or get these female referees um more experience under the sort of pressure that's under world cup too um being a referee is not easy um i honestly feel sympathy for them a lot even though as a reporter i say some pretty you know i can't believe somebody missed that or i kind of get on them at the end of the day it is a rough job and you never nobody ever says anything for them you know doing well Mm. um so i think it's uh, they have to learn to deal with the pressure too i mean you're coming from a lot of these referees are from countries that didn't even qualify for the World Cup that don't have maybe the following that you would have here in the U.S. at even like an NWSL game. If referees make a wrong call, you know, especially if it's against the home team, they're going to know about it. And I think it's just mm-hmm. a matter of, um, you know, let the referees catch up. Not Maybe just go a World Cup cycle or two and have the female referees in. I'm not saying that you have to keep it ungender locked forever. Um, mm-hmm. But maybe just until you feel like um, women referees are at the same level. Just like the players in these teams, they haven't had the opportunities that male referees have had. So um, we need to kind of accept that and work to sort of address getting them to that level. All right. Well, thanks so much for that view and for joining us today. Do you have any plugs you want to mention? You can catch a lot of great World Cup uh, coverage at the Equalizer. Uh, at www.equalizersoccer.com. Um, great stuff from uh, a lot of different writers. I'm hoping to get something out about Mexico's early exit sometime um, this week, so go ahead and check that out. Yep, thanks so much for joining us, and we'll talk again in the future. Okay, thanks for having me on. You guys have a good day. 
Thanks to Jen again for joining us for that interview. For the rest of the podcast, you'll be hearing from the following guests. Hi, I'm John Wallen. You can find me on Twitter at Fantasy Gaffer. And I also curate the at Play Taga Twitter feed for Taga. Uh, Taga is available at www.playtaga. Hi, I'm Jay. I'm from theeaglesbeak.com. We're a Palace fan site predominantly, but we're covering the Women's World Cup on there, uh, both on the website and through t- Twitter. You can get us on Twitter at the Eagles Beak. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. If you'd like to reach me, I'm on Twitter at Kevroth. And if you'd like to reach the podcast, as always, you can either tweet us at EPL Roundtable or email us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. All right, first up, we have Making the Rounds, or he's just going to discuss how our nations have been doing in the Women's World Cup thus far. I, again, will be pushed to Netherlands, as John will take care of the U.S. So, John, what have you made of the U.S.'s one match since we last talked? I mean, it was uh, it was a great match. <laughs> Obviously, the United States came through it. They won uh, Group D. They have, a, you know, a tricky upcoming fixture against Colombia. And as we talked last time when we had Andrew Gibney on, uh, obviously, Colombia have recorded the big upset of the tournament in uh, their 2 nothing victory over France. So while I'm sure uh, a number of people, particularly in the United States, may be looking past to the, to the quarterfinals or to possible semifinal matchups, uh, this Colombia match, I think, is going to be a, a tricky one for the United States. Um, happy to have been proved wrong by Andrew, who in our last, uh, last session said he did not think it was very likely that Nigeria would record a 3 nothing win against the United States in the uh, <laughs> final Group D match, and, and indeed they did not. Um, fine performance by the Nigerians, but I think that you know the United States stamina, their depth of squad really came to the fore in that match, and they were able to uh, execute well enough to go through. Obviously, one nothing, not the result that you'd like, you know, if you're looking to build on a deep run. But uh, that being said, they have gotten now three matches under their belt. Um, they're more into the tournament. Hopefully, some of the media commitments that they had. Uh, in the run-in um, during the send-off matches that they had in the United States, uh, will have abetted a bit, and they'll be a bit more focused on their football when they uh, kick off against Colombia. All right, and Jay, what have you made of the Lionesses thus far? Yeah, I think they've done pretty well, actually. Um, in a group which uh, they faced France, and the first game they lost to France narrowly, they recovered pretty well, actually, winning their, you know, their other two games in the group. Obviously, the last game in the group was against Colombia, who um, were, were, were top in the group after their surprise victory over France. And it was really a win, uh, you know, a, a win for the English team, which was uh, which was impressive. Actually, the first half they they took the game to a, a Colombian side who were excited, you know, excited as we've seen in their you know first two games, and they were obviously a threat after beating France. And uh, it perhaps wasn't quite as uh, easy a game going into it as it was perhaps on paper, you know, before the World Cup started. And you know, Colombia have been a surprise package, as uh, as John's already mentioned by uh, while securing the, the the well the one the one shock in the, in, in the competition so far. Um, and yeah, England performed well against them. They set up well. Um, they took the game to Colombia and perhaps um, played them at their own game a little bit in a way. And going in that break 2-0 two, two up, I think they were good value for that and perhaps could have uh, could have added to that before uh, before half-time and really, you know, sin the game off. Um, I mean, the second goal was a penalty. Uh, arguably could have a penalty just before that. I think that, that one that was actually given was a little bit dubious, but uh, I think the one before should have been given. But, uh, you know, I think uh, the England girls play well. And, and the second half was a bit of a... You, 
you know, we watch football enough to realise that sometimes teams going at half-time, winning two or three nil, thinking, you know, <clears throat> psychologically the game's kind of won. It's that precarious scoreline, isn't it, 2-0? Um, and England done enough for second half, really, to, to kind of see out the game. They, they let in a goal very late on in the game, which uh, really there was not left uh, any, any minutes left to play. And uh, it, was a, it was a good win for the, uh, for the Lionesses. And uh, they move on through the group. Um, France actually took the group because uh, they, they fought back from, from that shock defeat. To, uh, I think Mexico paid for, that, uh, for them losing and uh, you know, put a few goals against them and end up topping the group. So England go through as runners-up in the group. It's a group that has three teams go through, as Colombia had done enough to secure a, you know, one of the better third-place spots. And England take on Norway uh, tomorrow night, which should be an interesting matchup. I really like that that uh, that England Norway matchup a lot. It's one of it's one of the better matches I think that we're gonna see in this round. And you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that I, as we're recording, I'm watching the Westfield Matildas Twitter feed because Australia just saw Brazil won nothing. And yeah. uh, Kev, I know you're gonna be taking uh, Holland here, but not to look too far ahead. Australia would be the next round opponent should the Dutch manage to win their round of 16 match. So what did you Against think of Japan, the Australia performance? So not mm. looking forward as much as the U.S. maybe. Um, <laughs> Australia were just absolutely terrific today. And, and having watched a lot of the group play because they were in the U.S. group, which was the group of death, um, mm. this, is, this was significantly their best performance. Um, it wasn't the most exciting, <laughs> as you might have seen uh, Andrew tweeting. He was our guest on last week. Um, but they just did the job, and they stunted Brazil when they had to, and they pushed forward when they had to, and they, they did excellently to, to beat that Brazil side. Um, <laughs> Jay and I were talking earlier kind of about that group of death and you know how it, it was difficult for those teams to progress. And before the World Cup, we were saying one of the third-place teams might not even come out of this group because they won't pick up enough points. But they were all pretty disappointing, to be fair, in the group stage. Uh, USA, Sweden, and Australia. And obviously yeah. Sweden are out. And the USA kind of got through kind of on order of matches. You know, not, I, I, They were still the best team in the group. But getting that win against uh, Australia to start it off really set them up for the rest of the group. Um so yeah, it'll be interesting. As far as Netherlands versus Australia goes, um, <laughs> that's like I said, that's 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 far off. Nobody's worried about that because we have the title holders uh, coming up next in Japan, who I have not been profoundly impressed by. But obviously, three wins is three wins, but they were all by one goal. So uh, you you think if you score two, maybe you can get through, but you know that hasn't happened yet. So. Hmm. Um, it's definitely interesting going forward. Uh, now we're going to go back in time to last Monday, which is the last time that Netherlands played. Won't play Japan until Tuesday for a nice little <laughs> week-long break in the middle there. Um, okay, so I, I write statistical art articles over on Jay's website, and a lot of them are stats-heavy, and so I love stats. I want to get that out first. But if you look at a recap of that Netherlands-Canada match, you would not have an accurate representation of what happened in that game. And for me, I, I always say that means we're looking at the wrong stats. But if you look at the stats, both had five shots on goal, both had 16 total shots, both had 17 tackles, and Netherlands actually eked possession, which if you watch that match is ridiculous to hear because it seemed like Netherlands were on the counter the entire match and had a lot of difficulty holding onto the ball. As I said last week, uh, a lot of people kind of pointing fingers at the defense I, I really think this midfield three just 
either isn't good enough ability-wise or there just aren't enough bodies there to kind of slow attacks from the other side. They don't have enough space to really just maintain possession in that midfield area, which is why it comes off as counterattacking. I mean, that and the fact that Melisse and Martins are both rapid. But there were maybe about 20 minutes of that match where Netherlands were at least level, if not a little bit better than Canada. But Canada dominated that match without question for me. Um, so anyway, don't, don't get distracted by that. Fun little stat. Um, all four defenders have van names, which aren't rare in Netherlands, but it was just something that I kind of appreciated. Uh, Lois Gertz came back in match instead of uh, Sari van Wienendal, who had done very well deputizing in the previous match. Um, uh, did very well, four saves. Maybe a little responsible for the goal, got a knee to it, not her whole leg. Whether or not you, you can really point the finger is kind of up to interpretation, but much feel much more confident with her in goal despite the size difference. Uh, Vivian Medima played much better this match after she must have listened to the pod because last time I said she was one of my more disappointing players of the tournament. And even though she didn't score yet again, she finally was more involved in kind of the play. Uh, as I mentioned before, the midfielders sure weren't for a while. So uh, that kind of front three was really where possession was happening the most. There and in defense, which isn't necessarily where you want it, which will be a concern facing Japan. All right, now before we all look forward to the next round, like we already mentioned with the matchups that USA and Netherlands may have, let's look at the last round because obviously it ended on Wednesday and we haven't had time to talk about it first. Who were the teams that kind of surprised and disappointed uh, that, that either progressed or failed to advance it in the next round? Well, I mean... You must be Spain. I, you seemed really excited to watch Spain. I, I mm. really wanted to see Spain. I'm in, I mean, I'm very disappointed they didn't make it through. Um, you know, that side obviously has a ton of, a ton of talent, um, that have displayed, you know, at a club level, not really pulled together uh, on the international level, you know, as yet. And when you look back at the three matches that they played in the group stage, I do think that, I think the opportunity was there for them. I mean, the reality is they finished with one point, what one point, and that's, you know, they only allowed four goals. You know, obviously they had that that letdown against um, Korea to to lose two nil in, in the third match, but a one nothing loss against Brazil, a one one draw with Costa Rica. When the reality is they had plenty of opportunity to have put that match away, and had they come through that, and I mean, listen, obviously had they come through that, they would have had three points and likely would have qualified. But the fact is they held the lead for all of one minute in that match. After Lasada scored in the 13th minute, uh, Rodriguez mm-hmm. came back in the 14th minute to tie it for Costa Rica. And then Spain simply never, you know, never went back ahead. And I think that may be the single most disappointing moment of the tournament for me so far, is that Spain having really seized the opportunity early, coming out, taking the initiative and, and leading within the first 15 minutes of their opening match at the group stage, never really seemed to put in a threat for the next 100 and 245 minutes of football, you know, and um, certainly disappointing. I think we saw that again in the third match uh, that they played against uh, against Korea Republic. Um, and, you know, hopefully a learning experience, um, a squad young enough that they'll be able to come back and, and a lot of these same players will be uh, on the team uh, for the European Championships and for, and for the next Women's World Cup. But... Um, yeah, very disappointed that they that they aren't in the round of sixteen. 
Yeah, I'm similar to John, actually. Spain were a big disappointment, I think. I think most of the groups went the way we thought they would. Um, the same Group E, actually, as Spain. I, I was disappointed uh, Costa Rica didn't get through, actually, because I think they played some good football. Yeah. Uh, um, managed to get two points, perhaps unlucky not to get a win out of uh, one of those three games. And um, I think Korea Republic can probably count themselves a little bit lucky that they did, you know, did manage to uh, uh, to get the result there. Although, you know, you got to get the results of an years results game. But I, I, I enjoy watching Costa Rica play, and it's a shame we're not going to see any more of them in, in this World Cup. Um, Spain are the obvious ones. I think, um, you know, the rest of the groups kind of went the way you would expect it. I was expecting more from Netherlands, to be honest. I think China mm. were a bit of a surprise in, in, in Canada's group, although Canada haven't really set the competition alight as such. But uh, I think the only other team was um, Nigeria. I mean, they were in a tough group as it was. Um, they are, they were the minnows in that particular group anyway. Um, but I think I was, you know, they, they played some good stuff. I mean, I think it was a three-all draw they had in the opening game. Um, it kind of set the tone for them, but they didn't really follow that up. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. With, uh, with with an awful lot, but they weren't, you know, soundly beaten in any games. They just it narrowly lost. Yeah, it just wasn't. Uh, it just wasn't quite enough. But again, it, it was a very difficult group, and you know, even Sweden struggled to, you know, to get the um, you know the three points there for that one for, to see them sneak through. So, yeah, I think Spain, as John mentioned, are are the, are the big surprise. You know, finishing bottom of their group with one point. Um, but I think there's a few teams that have played some decent stuff. You know, Nigeria, perhaps. Um, but they were in a tough group. I, I think all the other groups kind of went out, uh, you know, played out the way we expected. But going back to your point, Kev, on uh, Netherlands, actually, um, mm. we've we've seen two teams go through the group stages without really being tested, such as Brazil and Japan. Now, you touched on Netherlands playing Japan. You know, they are the reigning champions. You know, they they've got they've got good pedigree in the World Cup. You know, internationally, they're a, they're a team which uh, you know a lot of teams fear. Um, but they qualified quite easily, such as Brazil did. Uh, mm. And Brazil, we've just seen, have gone out to Australia today. Um, and Australia being in the group like they were, you know, we said that these teams, you know, in that group is a group of death and they didn't perform, you know, 
particularly well as you know watching a group but perhaps they were you know they were they were tougher games which perhaps mm. sets them in better better stead as the competition goes on um whereas brazil and japan have gone through the you know the group stage without really a challenge um and and we've seen uh, tonight that brazil have gone out which was uh, you know a bit of a shock against the you know it's a decent australia side but you you know i think most people would have fancied brazil to go through well, you know, and not to, to look too far ahead and in, into the round of 16, but I think Sweden going out, I know um, last week again uh, when we had Andrew on, he had touched on the fact that Sweden failing to qualify for the round of 16 would be, you know, arguably the biggest disappointment of the World Cup. They mm. did qualify, and then they were thrashed by Germany. Mm. I mean, that is, that is as one-sided a match as you're ever going to see between two of the five best teams in anything. Mm. And realistically, I don't... I, I don't know what Sweden does from there. I mean, they seemed without inspiration. Um, they seemed to lack any kind of attacking verve uh, or creativity. And uh, realistically, I mean, Germany were not flattered by a four-one scoreline. They most certainly could have yeah. um, put a, put a couple more past. And you know, it's it, that I think is a very shocking result. Yeah, I'm I'm absolutely terrified of Germany. I mean, we've seen, as I mentioned, I, I think the U.S. have been a little disappointing. Well, before we move on, would would you agree with that, John? As somebody that's been watching those matches as well, I think the U.S. has been, other than that uh, that one match that was just dominated by Megan Rapinoe, I think the United States has been uh, very well short of expectation. Um, and maybe that's because Jill Ellis is trying to find uh, minutes for players. Maybe that's because she's trying to still pick out uh, who the players that are best suited to these conditions are. And I know um, on previous shows we've discussed at length, and there's no reason to rehash, but um, the, the fact that they're playing on turf is just, I, I think, a, a very underrated and overreported uh, storyline. You know, mm -hmm. I think until you've tried to play 90 minutes of competition at the highest level on this surface, and again, we saw today with Brazil and Australia trying to do it in uh, not quite driving rain, but certainly a constant downpour for 90 minutes, exactly how difficult it was to maintain any kind of pace. And I was cringing uh, for the ladies today, thinking that match was going to an, uh, you know, an extra period of 30 minutes, just you know, unable to contemplate how you would run out 120 minutes on that surface and have any legs left for your uh, quarterfinal match. Yeah, it's obviously not ideal, but as I was going to lead in there before, I was like, oh, we should probably make sure that you agree with this as our resident <laughs> U.S. expert. Um, Germany have obviously been dominant from the from the off, really, in this tournament. And, you know, France kind of struggled, as you mentioned, against Colombia. Well, that, that's kind of unfair to Colombia. Colombia did play very well. Um, but... It seems like all the major contenders, Canada, have been a little disappointing thus far. England certainly haven't lived up to, to the hype that, that we were expecting going into it. Can somebody stop Germany? Because they look terrifying. And as we mentioned on the first episode of our Women's World Cup pod, um, not, not the women's one we had in, in earlier May, but uh, mentioned that four of their players scored 20-plus goals for their club teams. And it shows. I mean, Sasich has been incredible. So has Mittag and Pop. They're all just so terrifying. Like, can anyone actually stop them? I mean, that may end up being a rhetorical question come the end of this tournament, right? <laughs> well, it sounds <laughs> like it was a rhetorical question right then. <laughs> no, no one has shown any other, I mean, no other team. Obviously, none of the teams that have played Germany have, you know, looked particularly able to beat them. But 
none of the standalone performances that we've seen from any other team uh, in this World Cup would have matched up against the worst performance that we've seen from Germany. And I think that may end up being, you know, um, the yardstick that we have to judge this World Cup against. You know, is this the cup that Germany shows exactly how far ahead of the chasing pack they are? Because, again, keep in mind, they're without three of their first choice 11, and they're still doing this. And that, I mean, that's an amazing thought um, that, you know, any team could suffer the kind of injuries, uh, the kind of withdrawals that they've had to, to sustain and just dominate the competition in the way that they have. I think um, one of the stats are that Germany have had the most chances in the competition so far. And all, although they're the top scorers, they're still having the, the most chances. And, and therefore, there, there is something to say about them uh, in their percentage of actually you know, taking chances against the, the ones that are created. But you know, you're not going to score goals if you don't create them. But the other side of the coin is that you know, they're in the toughest side of the draw, I think, if you look at the uh, yeah. the way it pans out. I think um, it's quite loaded one side. Well, it's quite loaded one-sided because Germany are in the same side as obviously Sweden. They've just played uh, USA, China, and um, they potentially play France in the next round. So, you know, if they're going to get to the final, they're going to do it the hard way. But saying that, they look like they're just going to blitz their way through. Um, they did find it a struggle in the second half against Norway, though, uh, in their group game. Whether that was just because... Um, that was the tie of the group, which would see to the group winners. They'd already scored a lot of goals. But to me, they seemed to struggle a little bit in the second half because they weren't creating quite the chances they were expecting to. Um, perhaps Norway tightened up a bit more when they did get the equaliser in the game. So maybe there is a bit of a shining light for some of the other countries there to do a little bit more of what Norway did. Um, and they may well find it a bit tougher in, in the next round, particularly if they end up playing France. Um yeah, to jump in on, on what Jay just said about the stats being overwhelmingly in the Germans' favor, they've recorded 117 shot, total shots with 52 attempts on target. <laughs> Only three nations so far have recorded at least 52 total shots. One of them is Germany. Cameroon actually has 82 shot, total shots. Only 26 of those are on target. So Germany literally has twice as many shots on target as the <laughs> next best team in the World mm -hmm. Cup. Yeah. France, 56 shots. 15 on target. I mean, it's it's unbelievable the level of domination that Germany showed so far. Yeah, that's an incredible stat, John. I, I think the most unfortunate thing is that it's unlikely that we'll see a kind of a Canada-Germany uh, matchup to see if Kadisha Buchanan could do something to stunt that German attack because right now, as, as we're all saying, it's really scary to look at uh, and maybe no one will be able to stop them, but at least that would be a, an interesting matchup. Yeah, I know, Kevin. I mean, it's a good point. And I mean, just one one quick button on that is that, you know, the two Germans that are taking their chances, the majority of their chances are Anya Mittag and Celia Sasic. Both of them have five goals scored. Um, add to that, Lena Petterman has two goals scored. No other player in the tournament has more than three. Uh, the Germans are just uh, not only are they as a team overwhelming, but individually, when you have two players uh, that you have to account for that are so lethal with the ball at their feet, it's going to be hard for any of the remaining teams to mark them defensively. Yeah, um, unfortunately, we, this needs to be discussed. We always say bringing it up, and yet we always do it. But um, there has been a lot of really poor refereeing decisions. And unfortunately, unlike the Premier League, I don't know if it's actually unfortunate, 
it's not necessarily the big decisions, which I think have largely been right. But you just keep seeing like corners that are deflected or, or corners that are given off of balls that aren't, haven't been deflected or throw-ins where they aren't throw-ins or just fouls in the middle of the pitch where they seem to not really be there. And I saw a tweet from Jess Fishlock yesterday, Jim's sister, who we often have on. And she basically said, to, in effect, why is it gender-locked? Why do we have only women's referees in women's football, there's no rule preventing women from being referees in men's football. Just haven't gotten to that level yet. So do you think that's the route we should go? Is this another, we just need to bring in technology issue? Because or a lot of people will be watching the Women's World Cup kind of looking to validate their opinion that women's football isn't exciting and it's boring and they're not as good and all of that stuff that we obviously don't believe. Um, but the refereeing has really been poor, and I'm worried people are going to take that as as kind of a pointing to them being like, see, I told you that this was a problem. So I, I think this is a much bigger issue than it's even been made thus far. Uh, what, do, what do you guys think could be done to kind of remedy it? Well, I mean, real quick. So Jessica Fishlock is a professional player, obviously. She's a Welsh national team player. She plays for the Seattle Reign. And so yesterday she just tweeted out, poor ref call, too many times in this World Cup that's happened. Unsure the mentality of women refs only for the Women's World Cup. Why not just the best? And, you know, without wanting to take, uh, you know, 140 characters out of context, I do think that that same sentiment that she's uh, expressing there has been echoed across a lot, uh, a lot of uh, the media, certainly across uh, a widespread uh, number of fan bases, um, even to the extent that, you know, teams that are benefiting from poor calls are, are largely looking at the quality of the refereeing as, as having been an issue. And, you know, the reality is, and for people that don't know, FIFA has actually made, um, made an affirmative decision to only have um, the refereeing crews for Women's World Cup be female. They actually mandated that all 22 of the referees, all 49 of the assessment referees, um, all of the, the support referees, the, the seconds and the fourths, um, they would all be women's referees. And, you know, FIFA has you know, to their credit or detriment, depending on how you want to look at it, said, you know, the future of football is feminine and they're trying to expand the, the game. You know, obviously some of their recent decisions call it into question. And within only the context of this conversation, you have to wonder why then they're not provi providing more opportunity for women referees to referee in men's competitions because yeah. there are no shortage of opportunities for these ladies to get high level faster uh you know uh matches under their belt they could be refereeing you know u20 uh men's matches they could be refereeing professional men's matches i mean there's no shortage of football that's going on 24 hours a day seven days a week around the world globally to find the opportunity for them um, seems like it would be an, an easy fix. Um, and certainly with four years between now and the next Women's World Cup, I would hope that if they maintain this mandate that they're only going to use women referees, that they back that up by then providing these referees with the opportunity to have matches under their belt so that, you know, the focus can be on the play and that these people aren't being, you know, held out for the wrong reasons. I mean, there's been a lot of really good officiating but as we all know, good officiating goes unnoticed, you know, and it's only yeah. the bad officiating that, that gets uh, brought to the fore. Um, you know, I'm not sure, you know, where you guys fall on this, but honestly, 
I, I agree with Jessica. You know, I think the best referees should be getting used for this. What I would like to see is that, you know, FIFA provides the platform so that the best referees in the world can be of either gender. And I don't think that they've provided that platform. And so then for me, this rings very hollow. Well, I mean, th- this is the same argument we've had week in, week out in the Premier know. League last season about the, about the quality of the refereeing decisions. And I don't think there's much of a difference between whether you're female referee in a female game or the women's game or a male referee in a men's game. There really isn't a lot of difference between it. Although there is a few points I want to bring up, actually. The first one is the pitches that they're playing on in, in, you know, in Canada. You know, these are... Um, these are effectively not plastic pitches, but they're artificial surfaces. They're not um, grass surfaces. And I've mm. and they're predominantly quicker. The ball runs quicker. The ball bounces higher. You know, oh, I don't know sorry, whether that happens. I hate to interrupt you. Uh, I will say earlier, I was talking about like false deflections, like the match uh, yeah. yesterday, the China one. That ball did take a weird deflection just because it bounced off an unnatural surface. Like I could exactly. see why yeah. it would be given because that is strange. Sorry. Yeah, no, 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 but that's, that's completely right. I think the surface perhaps has, you know, can be used as an argument, you know, with the summer decisions because the ball runs fast. It's the same for the summer mistakes that the players make. And I know the players have mentioned about the pitch, you know, they water the pitch before the game and it dries out within 10 minutes and it's dry again and, it, you know, the ball bounces unnaturally. So, that, you know, there has been a lot of comment about the, you know, the state of the pitches. Whether that affects the refereeing decisions, I don't know. But, as I mentioned, I don't think there's a lot to say between whether it's female referees or male referees because we seem to be talking about the same point. So it is consistent in that respect because we're still getting <laughs> um, you know, decisions which are questionable. But doesn't that make the game of football? I mean, it, wouldn't it be boring if we had technology which came in and everything was decided through technology? But as you, as you guys already know from you know, being in the States, it doesn't, you know, technology doesn't always make a difference in NFL or, uh, mm. um, you know, NBA. Yeah, NFL, there's still calls that can't quite be seen with technology. So you could be spending 10, 15 minutes watching a replay and you still can't decide what, what it's going to be. So, uh, you know, I think sometimes you've got to give the officials a, a bit of a break. But however, like the men last season in the Premier League, the, the male referees, it was all season. You know, it, it was torrid decision after torrid decision. You know, this is a competition. Um, you know, you, you can take a lot of things into play but I don't see any reason why there can't be uh, female referees in the men's game and, and vice versa I don't see the problem with that you're not it's not as if you're playing against uh, you know playing agendas against each other are you it's mm. you know and uh, I'll go on to the point that you mentioned about many football fans being critical of women's game I'm fed up with the back teeth for people saying that it's not as good as the men's game. You know, I've watched the World, Women's World Cup and it's rubbish. I, I, it's a fallacy. I, you know, you have to take the women's game for what it is. It's an individual sport played by women. You can't compare it to the men's game. You know, this this is a sport which is you know which is growing every year into a sport of its own, played by women. You know, women are built differently. Men are built differently. You know, we, as we spoke about on a podcast a few weeks ago about the goalkeepers, it's a fascinating point to mention that you know, if you don't if you don't watch a game regularly, you wouldn't notice that the goalkeepers tend to have you know they will have smaller hands. It's just you know, it's just a difference in gender. Generally, women have smaller hands. So. To start with, a lot of the goalkeepers in the women's game are quite quite short, relatively short. As you can see at the World Cup, some of the teams have short goalkeepers, but the hands aren't as big as as men's hands. So this 
is why you get the shots from outside the area because they they, they generally know. And I spoke to uh, uh, not an international player, but a player in in women's football uh, during the week on Twitter, and they she said that they're trained to take shots from outside the box because of the fact that the goalkeeper's hands are smaller and it's more difficult for uh, you know for female goalkeepers to get across the goal and to palm that ball away you know around the post. So you know there's a lot of differences between the games, and I think people need to stop comparing it to the men's game and just taking it for you know what it is the individual sport that it is it's a women's game and for me there's been some great action in the world cup you know if you, if some people sat down and watched it you know sometimes my you know it, it, in any competition, there's going to be games which aren't that great. You know, there have been a few games in the World Cup, but with the amount of games being played, that's going to happen. Um, but anyway, I'm ranting on that one. John's already mentioned about you know moving feet, you know, using female uh, officials for the next game and vice versa. We already have a female lines person in the Premier League. Uh, I think she made a debut the season before last, um, and I, I agree there should be more. I mean, you know, she's no worse than, than any, any of the other, <laughs> any other men in it. So, you know, I, there's, there's going to be a time where they're going to use a, a female official in a men's game. When that's going to be, I don't know. But if you're good enough, should it matter really whether you're male or female? You know, you know, Jay, you brought up an interesting point just about the fact that these are two separate games, and I know that. You know, dovetailing that in, into the, the state of uh, professional, you know, the professionalization of women's referees is an interesting one. But Kate Markgraf um, over on ESPNW wrote an article uh, titled Why Bad Refs Are a Huge Problem for Women's Soccer. And the thesis there, you know, she's positing that it's actually a huge problem because the finances of women's football are so largely tied to the monies that these programs receive from FIFA. And, you know, she goes through and she does, it's a really good article. I'd recommend everybody read it, you know, to understand that the women's programs in a lot of these countries, A, are very new, B, are not well funded at all. And so if you have a decision go against you at a World Cup that costs you the opportunity to qualify for the round of 16 or costs you the opportunity to, to move ahead to the quarterfinals, I mean, you're yeah. talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of pounds. And that has a very And the cultural impact. impact that it could have on a generation of young girls. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that once again, we all know the men's game is, for better or worse, flush with cash uh, across many different continents. And uh, certainly FIFA has no shortage of funds, as has been uncovered in recent weeks. But until there's some kind of economic parity that we're seeing, and until there's a move to professionalize women's referees, until there's a move to ensure that there's either a, you know, a wider base of professionalized uh, women's leagues across the globe, or until those uh, tournament fees and appearance fees are raised by FIFA so that women can more effectively train and have better training facilities on a national mm -hmm. level, um, 20, you know, 12 months a year in non-World Cup years. You know, until yeah. we see that, you know, it's not only unfair to judge it because it's, you know, a, a different sport in and of itself. It's unfair to judge it because they're not actually being given the same opportunity. Um, and mm -hmm. the quality of play that's been shown when the women are given the opportunity to train as frequently as they want, to have the support of their nations behind them, to have that level of professionalized infrastructure, you know, supporting them, that football mm -hmm. is amazing. And, you know, I would... Mm -hmm. I love watching that level of football, and I hope that, you know, in four years, 60, 80, 180 nations have that level of infrastructure supporting the women's game. 
I think in in the UK particularly, you know, you you hit a very good point about the funding of the game, and um, you know, the men's game is flush with cash. I mean, you've only got to look at the Premier League for silly amounts of money, which is uh, which is there being used, being spent, you know, being wasted even. Um, you know, the women's game in this country is is very much the way that the club, ha- you know, the, the 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 male part of the club have to kind of help out the we, the women's side of the you know the football club and that's kind of how a club starts and you know they they're kind of dependent on on the on the parent club as it were to to help you know get get a footing in, in the game and and help get set up but it, it, you know I I report on the, the the Crystal Palace ladies who have done fantastic stuff they they run um, teams all the way through from a very young age all the way through and they play the same the same style of football all the way through so as they progress they go through um but I know for a fact from speaking to the chairman on a regular basis the funding is just always a big issue they've been lucky enough to um to play at a very good ground which is uh which is a non-league ground um they use which has some excellent facilities um which is in a great great area as well so but it's not the same for all the other clubs that they've played in their division particularly uh not well supported by the by the parent club as as such um and some don't even have much involvement with you know with the women's side of the game which which is a shame but it does need to be i think a lot more link up Particularly for you know, particularly for Premier League clubs that have the money to be able to you know share share across the board as such. But you know, there's a lot of you know questions about you know the money in the game being shared in grassroots in this country and stuff like that. So you know, when there is money available, then I guess everyone's going to ask for some of that share, aren't they? But you know, it's a, it's a difficult one. But yeah, John, you're right that you know you could use a similar analogy to tennis. I mean, you know, the the, the women the women and men's tennis is quite you know in terms of prize money and and, and the way that all works out is quite disproportionate. To, to what they have, the women don't um, earn as much as the men do in, in, in tennis either. Um, so it's you know it's very disproportionate, and it's, you know it's it's very much the same in football. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we had a lot of great conversation going on there, which means that we don't have time for player watch or matches to watch uh, for the three of us. You can see USA or England tomorrow or today, depending on when you're listening. Monday, and then Netherlands play Tuesday, and then we'll get on to the next round later in the week. All right, and with that, we are out of time. So if you have any projects you'd like to plug or if you'd like to tell people where to reach you, now would be a good time. Sure. I'm John Wallen. You can find me on Twitter at FantasyGaffer and at PlayTaga. Uh, I'm running the content side of www.playtaga.com, which is a fantasy soccer platform for the Premier League and for the Women's World Cup. You can download our mobile apps, Women World Cup Challenge, on both the Google Play and the Apple Store currently, and you'll be able to download both a draft version of our Fantasy Premier League game and our current weekly Perfect Eleven app, uh, which allows you to reset your lineup every week. Hope you guys uh, find me there. Ask me any questions. And uh, follow at Kev Rav, the fine host of this program on Twitter, so that we can have a bit of banter. Yeah, hi, I'm Jay from TheEaglesBeat.com, and thanks for listening to the podcast. It's been great to be on once again. Uh, I, I'm the editor of the TheEaglesBeat.com Palace fan site, but we're actually reporting on the Women's World Cup, as we do on the Palace Ladies teams as well during the season. So uh, it's been great to be a part of. Enjoyed the World Cup as well. So go and check out some of our articles. on. Uh, you can catch us on Twitter, EaglesBeak. Well, yeah, and as John mentioned, I'm on Twitter at Kevroth. Uh, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, as always, you can either tweet us at EPL Roundtable or email us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. It's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. Music. 
Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.